The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, August 15, 2021, on the basis of 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 16. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. If your family is anything at all like mine, then perhaps one of the most difficult decisions that you have to make together as a group is when you have to decide where to eat. Especially if you're on the road, maybe you're on vacation and that favorite go-to restaurant isn't sitting there right nearby and, and you have to decide where to go together as a group. Oh, all the hemming and the hawing, the second guessing and the hesitation, the inevitability that no matter what you decide to do, someone isn't going to be happy about it. That's why as a general rule, I try and stay out of those discussions as much as I possibly can so that no matter what happens, I can claim it wasn't my fault. Well, thankfully, as we have to make that decision about where we are going to eat, we do have some help, right? We have things like Google, we have things like Yelp. We can look at all the five-star ratings. We can read all of the customer reviews. In fact, we can even look up maybe some, some expert opinions that some expert food critics have given. We can ask for recommendations from people that we know. I mean, I think you'd agree that it's not enough if you were just driving around looking for a place to eat and you saw a restaurant that had a sign advertising the best burger in the world or the greatest pizza on the planet. We expect restaurants to say those types of things about themselves, but we want to hear from other people to decide if that's really a place where we want to eat. Well, last week at, at the end of the gospel that we heard, and this week at the very beginning of the gospel that we heard, we heard our Savior Jesus do a bit of, of self-advertising, you might say. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. With those words, Jesus is claiming to be able to satisfy perfectly and permanently the hunger of our souls. He is claiming to be able to provide absolutely everything that our souls crave. And that sounds pretty good, in theory at least. But I don't know if you caught it in today's gospel, but it didn't take very long for the Jewish leaders who were there, a.k.a. the expert food critics, we might say, to give Jesus a customer review. didn't take very long at all for them to let Jesus know just what they thought about him. In fact, it sort of reminds me of something that you would see Gordon Ramsay do on the TV show Master Chef. These Jewish leaders just took one look at Jesus, at what seemed to them to be a pathetically prepared dish that was standing in front of them, and they didn't even want to take a single bite. Wasn't the first time that happened. Wouldn't be the last time that happened. So what do you do with customer reviews like that? I mean, if you were looking for a place to eat and there was one restaurant that everyone raved about, and another restaurant that everyone ridiculed. The choice would be obvious, right? It would be a no-brainer for you. And so what do you do when so much of the world around us turns up their noses at the bread of life? What do you do when everyone else in your life is trying to satisfy the hunger of their souls 
in some other way? Those are the the types of questions that the verses that are in front of us this morning are going to answer because what happened to Jesus happened also to the Apostle Paul and continues to happen in our world today. As we look at these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to see that we should expect the bread of life to get bad reviews. Now, out of all the cities that Paul visited to plant churches, perhaps there was no city where that was more so the case than in this city called Corinth. Corinth has been described as the New York City of its day. Large city, very diverse, full of all kinds of different religions and philosophies, full of people who considered themselves to be movers and shakers, people who viewed themselves as enlightened and sophisticated thinkers. And when Paul came to this city of Corinth, he proclaimed there the very same message that he preached everywhere he went. In fact, just prior to the verses that are in front of us, Paul described that message using just two words, Christ crucified. Now, if we didn't know any better, we would be convinced that those two words do not belong together. For the Jewish people, at least, that word Christ embodied everything that their souls hungered for. That word Christ represented peace with God. It represented success and happiness in life. It represented glory for their people and their nation. It represented hope for their future. But that word crucified, being put to death on a Roman cross, that word represented oppression and evil, suffering and weakness, shame and intimidation. And so you would think that those two words had nothing to do with one another, and yet at least according to the Apostle Paul, they very much did. It's no wonder that Paul got the reviews that he got in Corinth. Paul says that this message of Christ crucified is not understood by the people of this age. In fact, they consider it to be utter foolishness. They consider it to be completely moronic. And not just people in general, Paul says, but the rulers of this world. In other words, this isn't a a situation where some average Joe with an unsophisticated palate walks into some high-class, high-end restaurant and just doesn't get what they're trying to accomplish and so they go on Yelp and they leave a really bad review. No, Paul says these are, the, these are the expert food critics, the people who are the smartest, the most powerful, the most popular, the most successful in our world. To these people, the message of Christ crucified seems like utter nonsense. If we were to bring this discussion back into the realm of the whole bread and food and hunger metaphor that Jesus uses, we might say it this way. These two words, Christ and crucified, appear to be as though they are ingredients that should never be combined and used to make the same dish. You don't have to be an expert chef to know that there are certain things that just go well with certain other things. For example, ketchup goes really well with french fries, right? And ranch dressing goes really well with chicken nuggets, right? And peanut butter goes really well with absolutely everything. That's correct, right? We just know these things. 
Well, if Paul is like a master chef who's preparing a dish, in the very same way, there are certain worldly tastes that all of us have, that all of us are born with, that make it very clear that there are certain things that just go together and certain things that do not. So, for example, when it comes to the things that our soul hungers for, our soul hungers for things like happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment in life. Our worldly tastes tell us that we can achieve those things by listening to our hearts, by following our dreams, by pursuing to the greatest degree possible whatever it is that we happen to think and feel inside. But in contrast, the message of Christ crucified teaches us to practice self-denial, to say no to our sinful desires, to put to death selfish ambition. Our souls also hunger for things like greatness and glory. We hunger for significance for our lives. We want to know that our lives matter. We want to be convinced that this world could just not have survived had we not been born. And worldly tastes tell us that we can achieve those things with things like popularity and power, with the kinds of achievements that make headline news and get all kinds of clicks. But the message of Christ crucified, on the other hand, invites us to a life of humble service to others. It tells us to expect shame and ridicule in this life. It tells us to be content doing good that will largely go unrecognized and maybe even misunderstood by our world. Finally, our souls hunger for peace. Peace with God, peace with ourselves. The ability to look at ourselves in the mirror and be convinced that we are, in fact, good, virtuous people. And worldly tastes tell us we can accomplish that through continuous progress, ongoing self-improvement. Nobody's perfect, of course, and we certainly don't start out that way, but we progress, we advance, we improve, and, and hopefully, eventually, we arrive. But the message of Christ crucified teaches us that no amount of self-improvement will ever enable us to live up to the perfect standards that God has set for us. Instead, it teaches us to take a seat on the bench, to walk off of the playing field, humiliated and defeated with our tail between our legs, and to sit down idly as a substitute, does everything that we could not perfectly in our place. It's no wonder that Paul tells us to expect that the bread of life is going to get bad reviews. These two ingredients that he brings together in the message of Christ crucified are not just a little bit different from what our worldly tastes prefer. They're not just a little bit unusual. It's not a situation where it just takes a, a little bit of time because it's a, an acquired taste. No, these two ingredients are absolutely disgusting to our worldly tastes. And so when the world around us gets even a, a taste or a look at the bread of life, the message is always going to be the same. They are going to encourage us to satisfy the hunger of our souls in some other way. So when you see those customer reviews, 
Do you listen to what they say? I think one of the reasons this whole metaphor of, of bread and food and hunger works so well is because it is pretty difficult for us as human beings not to listen to our taste buds. In fact, if I, I gave you the choice, if I said to you, you could either look at something that your eyes find disgusting, or you could listen to something that your ears find disgusting, or you could smell something that your nose finds disgusting, or you could put in your mouth and chew and swallow something that your taste buds find disgusting. I think I know at the very least which of those four options you are not going to pick. It is pretty tough to rebel against our taste buds. And so it's probably no surprise that when so much of the world around us tells us to satisfy the hunger of our souls in some other way, so often we end up listening. So what's the solution? What's, what's the answer to that problem? I mean, is this sort of like when we were kids and, and we're made to eat something that we don't like? And so you close your eyes and you plug your nose and you have a, a glass of milk sitting nearby to sort of wash down every bite and you just figure out a way to choke it down so you can go back outside and play. Well, because of the worldly tastes that are all around us and in fact inside of us, that's probably not a, a bad picture for what we are going to have to sometimes do in order to embrace and believe this message of Christ crucified. But thankfully, the Apostle Paul in these verses has some better news for us. I mean, it would be one thing if Paul had sort of cooked up this recipe all by himself. If that had been the case, and if he had started to get the reviews that he was getting in Corinth, no doubt he would have tried something different. He would have changed the recipe. Maybe he would have gone out of business altogether and tried to do something else. I mean, not everyone is a chef, right? Not everyone belongs in a kitchen. But this wasn't a message that Paul had just cooked up on his own, and he knew that full well. Paul knew that this was a message that he had been given by God. And in fact, the very fact that these customer reviews were so universally bad actually proved that. I'm sure you're aware that there are things, there are dishes, there are foods that in our culture we would find to be absolutely disgusting, that in other cultures are actually considered to be delicacies. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that anybody could take just about any two ingredients, put them together to make a dish, and you could probably find someone somewhere on planet Earth who considered it to be delicious. That is not the case with the bread of life. That is not the case with the message of Christ crucified. Whether we are talking about Jesus in rural Galilee or Paul in cosmopolitan Corinth or us in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin in 2021, the customer reviews are always going to say the exact same thing. And that should tell you something. The fact that our worldly tastes find this message so disgusting actually tells you that this is a heavenly recipe. Here's how Paul says that. He says, What we have received is not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God. We speak not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. So the food that can truly 
and permanently satisfy the hunger of our soul is not something that you or I or anyone else can just cook up or dream up on our own. It's something that needs to be revealed to us by God. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings us this food and teaches us to love it. The Holy Spirit delivers to us this message of Christ crucified and uses it to actually transform our taste buds. He teaches us to find disgusting things like constant and instant self-gratification, selfish ambition, self-service, self-dependence, and he teaches us to find absolutely delicious self-sacrifice humble service toward others, and total dependence on the work that Christ has done for us. In fact, probably the best news that Paul delivers comes right at the end. That when the Holy Spirit does this work of transforming our taste buds, Paul says, we are given the mind of Christ. Yes, this recipe that Paul delivered was something unusual and different in our world, but it was not the first time that the world had seen it. Long before Christ crucified was ever a message that the Apostle Paul proclaimed, it was a message that Jesus Christ embodied and lived out perfectly. By his life, by his death, he put this recipe perfectly into practice and by his resurrection from the dead, he gave proof once and for all that yes, as the bread of life, he is able to satisfy every hunger of our soul. So tell you what, for as long as we are in business, this is the recipe we're going to continue to use. Perhaps you've seen any number of reality TV shows where some expert in the restaurant industry comes in and helps out a, a restaurant where the food is terrible and the customer service is slow and the reviews are all bad and so business is awful. And over the span of 48 hours with a whole lot of kicking and screaming and yelling and throwing things on the floor, they completely turn things around. If we as a church were dependent on customer reviews. We would have to go through a process just like that, probably about once every three years. We would constantly having, be having to reinvent ourselves and reinvent our message in order to proclaim something that people find appealing. But we have been given a heavenly recipe. So as long as we are in business, that's what we're going to use. That recipe is going to be put to use in every single service we have, It'll be in use every time I preach and teach. You're about to hear Matt Zhang, our next vicar, promise to you that he will do the very same thing. It'll be in every Sunday school lesson, every Bible class. Those two ingredients, Christ crucified, will be found in every single thing that we do. And yes, you can expect the reviews to be bad. You can expect that it won't always be the thing that you want to hear, but you can also be certain that that message, that bread of life, does satisfy the hunger of your soul. Amen.